Paolo, how you doing? Yeah, muy bien, gracias, muy bien. Uh, that's just me responding to you calling me Paolo. Um, I'm good. You went a bit Del Boy then. <laughs> Monge to Rodney, Monge to. Uh, so in addition to uh, all of that, we'll of course uh, be taking lots of questions this week, I guess, because that's what we do when we haven't really got any football to talk about and bonus content as well for the backers. Absolutely. This podcast is, as always, brought to you by the good people who choose to crowdfund the show. Head over to patreon.com slash rankcast to get a little bit more show every week. So been watching any international football? Uh, do you know what? I have watched literally zero international football. Um, yeah, me too. You didn't You didn't catch England's uh, fabulous win against Malta. Uh, I did. In which uh, the fans apparently booed Wayne Rooney. They've... Or was it Rain Booney? <laughs> hashtag agenda, that's what it is. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... I mean, that doesn't seem right, really, that they're booing their all-time leading goal scorer, to be honest. I mean, that's a bit of rich coming from me, maybe, but I would never boo him. No, you just throw uh, virtual tomatoes at him in your uh, weekly bashing of him, as we've discussed on this show before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The other thing that we've got coming up in this week's show, which we didn't put at the top of the show, is an interview with Nick at Man United Youth. You might know him as Uh the pleasure of a a 15-minute catch-up with Nick to um, chat about the youth teams, particularly some of the very exciting talent in the under-18 squad. So There's some very exciting talent in the under-18 squad. Since we, uh, since we haven't got a match to review, should we, just, should we just get straight to that? Go on, yeah. yeah. Let's hear from Nick. Um, always good value, Nick is. To be joined today by Nick from the Red... You listeners will no doubt remember Nick from a podcast that used to exist once upon a time, a lovely, distant memory uh, called the Red Man Canyon Podcast. One at a time, I'm getting you all on. That's the plan. Uh, thank you for doing this today, because uh, I think it's fair to say you've been a little busy in the last few days. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Just adding another youth of my own to the ranks. So it's good to get a bit of a break to do something different. So thank you for, for taking the time to do this. What has been going on at United with the young players? Um, it's been an interesting season so far. Obviously, they won the under-21 league last year, but the under-23s aren't quite following in their footsteps so far. But on the other side of things, the under-18s look massively better from what was a really poor season last year. So it's been up and down, but lots to talk about. So let's start with the older age group that's not been doing so well. What's that down to? Um, it's just, I think you could probably put it down to maybe the latter end of Fergie's reign where he took, took his eye off the ball a bit with recruitment. I think everyone's kind of agreed on that now. They had a few years of un- in the under-18s where they didn't really bring many people in so they had small intakes and the quality perhaps wasn't quite there that it had been in the past and you're seeing that now filtering through to the old age groups there's just such a shallow group of players to pick from and it's always a bit like that for the for the whatever the reserve age group is but particularly this season there's a lot of deadwood around and a lot of the really good youngsters like Rashford and Fosu Mensah obviously have already pushed on you've got what looks like a really good under-18 crop now, but just in the middle there's a bit of a fallow period, which they're just going to have to weather, I guess, for a couple of years. And, I mean, one of the things that I was wondering was that there has been quite a lot of churn, hasn't there? There's been a lot of young players leaving on loan or, or permanently that would otherwise maybe be in that under-23 team, but would be kind of wasting themselves in that in that league. Definitely, yeah. And I think maybe part of it comes down to the club. I know Nicky Butts come out and said this new under-23 league, he's not a fan of it at all. And maybe you can see that in the fact that they're, using the smallest squad possible and using the more promising youngsters elsewhere, either sending them out on loan, involving them in the first team or keeping them down at under 18 level and sort of maybe fostering a really good group there to push for youth cup success and so on. So just kind of coping at under 23 level until maybe they 
got a bigger group of players to pick from in a couple of years. I mean, that under-23 thing, when Nicky Butt said it was ridiculous, it, it definitely, not, not following youth football that closely, from the outside looking in, it does look ridiculous. How, how do you feel about it? It just it feels like they change it every year or every other year, and nothing really changes. I mean, I don't think anyone's really approaching it much differently. There's not too many 22-, 23-year-olds floating around at clubs who haven't been moved on already, so it's not an awful lot different to an under-21 league. And the biggest problem with it is that they only play about 20, 22 games a season with the odd cup game thrown in, and it's just not enough for people to really consider it worthwhile keeping their best youngsters around. It's not enough games, so you just end up with sort of the best of the rest, players who probably aren't going to make it playing against each other, and it's just all a bit sort of dull and uninspiring most of the time, with a few shining lights there, here or there. So um, who have been United's best of the bad bunch sort of thing so far? I think there's one who absolutely stands out, which is Axel Tuanzebe, who obviously Mourinho involved and gets Wigan straight away. You can see he was a fan right from the off. And he's stood out and pretty much... He had a bit of an iffy game last time out against Everton, but he's been probably head and shoulders above everyone else throughout the season so far. I mean, they've won two, lost two, and drawn two in the league, so it's not been terrible, but they've had a couple of pretty shocking performances that I know after Southampton, they got well beaten there, and Warren Joyce came out and had a bit of a rant about people coasting and assuming they were going to get a career out of this just because they were united, and that got a bit of a response for a while. So, I mean, you've got Twinsaby. Joe Riley's had a bit of first-team experience, and he's been very good as well. And other than that, there's not really too many people who stood out, to be honest. There's been some good performances here or there, but it just it looks like a squad where people ask me who the best player is, who's going to push on into the first team, and there's not too many you'd single out, unfortunately. Yeah, just but Twinsaby looks like he... I mean, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because we have to kind of reset our expectations again. Because if Van Gaal was still the manager, Twanzebe would be like captain now or something, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he does look—he does look like someone that would be. If 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 we had a, a very kind of youth-minded manager, you'd be thinking he'd be in the first team pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, you'd say even with someone maybe not as youthful as Van Gaal, you'd see Twanzebe as maybe the fourth centre back in the first team squad ahead of a Jones or a Rojo or someone like that, yeah. but. Maybe that will come over the season. Obviously, he gave him a bit of chance against Wigan early on. And, but, yeah, he's, he's so young as well. People, I don't think, realise that he's only just stepped up from the under-18s full-time. Yeah. So he's, he's in his first year out of that group. And he's already he's the captain now of the under-23s. So he's got a, definitely got a bright future ahead. So let's, um, let's go down to a level where there's a lot more going on and uh, talk about how Angel Gomez is definitely going to be... Angel Gomez, sorry, is definitely going to be the best footballer in the world without any shadow of a doubt, definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah, give it two or three years. <laughs> it's a done deal. Uh, the whole team's looking pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive change from last year. They, they broke records for how poor they were last year. And obviously it's not always about results, but it was just a bit of an uninspired group last year, especially some like you had folks who meant to Rashford out of the equation for much of the season. Twins AB pushed up, Roshan Williams pushed up, and what was left, it was it was just a, a pretty poor bunch. Not maybe some there were some good players there, but just no depth. And but this season they've they've recruited a lot of guys in. Some of the others are a year older and have improved massively. And some of the football they've produced this season's been fantastic. They've they scored three goals in five straight games. Uh, sorry, five goals in three straight games. Um, just they've scored they only had one iffy game against City where they lost but otherwise they've been excellent this year so um, we'll come back to Gomez because I definitely want to talk about him some more uh, but who else has been good who else have been the standouts um, 
you're probably looking at you've got the new signings who've come in so you've got Tahith Chong who came in from Feyenoord in the summer who's a, a left winger who was highly sought after and he's been excellent he's created a lot of goals chipped in with a couple himself he's a bit of a throwback a genuine sort of out and out wide player tons of skill tons of pace and he's been he's really caught the eye you've got uh, Nishan Burkhart who's another new signing he came from FC Zurich who's a rare thing in the United Youth Systems a genuine striker sort of I mean going back to under 23 is one of their big problems is they don't have anyone who's vaguely a striker but now in, in the under 18s it really stands out that you've got someone who's sniffing out chances in the box a bit of a finisher and he's bad himself a few goals and looks really bright um, and the st- some of the other players from last season who maybe didn't catch the eye so much but he really Step four this year, like Indy Boonen, who's another wide player, sort of creative player. He's been brilliant. He's produced some some sort of YouTube clips that people are raving about, some brilliant skills to set up goals. Um, DJ Buffonge as well, who's who came in from he came in on trial last season initially, and he had a bit of an injury, injury disrupted season, but he's been fantastic this season, playing in midfield, a bit of a new role, and he's really stood out. But and there's a long list of players really you could pick out who've been excellent this season. The Buffon thing's interesting because, like, I've watched the under-18s more than the under-23s, but not a lot. But every time I have, he looks like he's doing something interesting. Like, he just looks like a player with it. He, he just, he looks a player, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's played in three or four different positions, and he's looked really at home in all of them. He's played left back, he's played wide on the left. This season, he's mostly played in central midfield, and he's really looked at home there. He's got a great left foot, he's, he's quick, he's creative. He's someone who... Came in a bit under the radar, but he's really starting to catch the eye and sort of raise eyebrows with how good he's been. He looks like he's got a proper understanding with Gomez as well. They, they definitely play well together. Yeah, there was that one goal they scored. I think it was uh, against Middlesbrough at home, maybe, or West Brom. One of those two games where they scored five, but it was there was like almost a Cole York telepathy there as they moved their way up the pitch, passing it between them. It was outstanding, but... You can see how far Buffon just come on in that he was rested yesterday for the the under-18s because he's been involved training with the first team in the under-23s this past week. So that shows a lot. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So talking of pretty amazing, I'm joking about it, but I genuinely like Gomez is a serious talent, isn't he? He is. He's he's up there, the sort of Ravel Morrison type of player he just love to watch. He's so exciting to watch. He's got so much to his game. He's a bit of a throwback, almost one of those players who's, it's like they're playing in the playground and everyone's, he's just a step above so many players at youth level. Um, he had maybe his first off game of the season yesterday. He had someone, says it all, someone man marking him basically most of the game, which you just don't see at under 18 level very often. And he, he got kicked all over the park, but he still came up with some great moments. He should probably have grabbed a couple of goals. He's just such an exciting player. And, and this is, I don't mean this in, I was joking earlier about him becoming the best player in the world, but I, I don't mean this in, in that sense. But it is impossible to watch him without thinking about Messi, isn't it? Just in terms of his general approach. Yeah, just his stature, just the fact that you could think of him as sort of someone who plays high up the pitch and can dribble pass players, score goals, but also he's so good at dropping deep, picking out a pass. He's got so much to his game. He's not, you can pigeonhole him as a particular type of player, really. He's just a hugely talented and still so young. He's only just turned 16, which is unreal. He's under 17's captain for England now, so really, really pushing on this season and still so much more to come from him. And I think, you know, that what you said about his age, uh, this is difficult for me to take. You're a much younger man than me, Nick, so you might be able to go oh, with not this. That much. But... <laughs> The year 2000 he was born. It's terrifying. I mean, we're getting to the point where we're going to have Premier League players born in the year 2000 very, very soon, which is horrifying. Um, not just the year 2000, right, but August the 31st as well. So yeah. right 
that's it. Literally, one day later, he'd be still under 16. He'd be still at school, which is just phenomenal. Um, and and you know, he just doesn't he doesn't look at all overawed by playing what two years above his level. Yeah, I mean, he he was involved quite a lot with the under 18s last year when he was stepped down. He's been talked about for several years. People have known almost one of those players that you hear rumours about from when they special and yeah he just he just steps up he's so small in stature but nothing phases him really which is a fantastic sign i wouldn't be surprised if we see him at under 23s towards the end of the season and who knows maybe next year the odd first team certainly training with them a bit so what's your take on the general health of the united youth setup now is 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 some of some of these changes making a difference was nicky but a good appointment so it's one of those things that's hard to tell from the outside exactly knowing where the input is but there seem to be a hell of a lot of turnover in terms of recruitment of staff, um, a lot more scouts coming in, and you can maybe see some of the results that are already bearing fruit this summer with they brought in some excellent young players from abroad, which maybe they haven't done as much in the last few years. I know some people are like iffy about the whole bringing people in at 16 approach. Obviously, Chelsea take it to extremes, bring in 50 a season and loan them all out. So you might want to go to that, but United maybe weren't tapping into that and the scouting network was falling a bit behind their rivals. So we've seen that addressed and there's definitely signs that's improving. Just the structure of the academy, they seem to have got the head of the academy role split over two or three different people now. And just, I mean, I think Paul McGuinness was unfortunate last season when he got sacked as a manager. I don't think it, I think he was almost a sacrificial lamb they lost seven games in a row I don't think that was necessarily down to him it's just the resources at his disposal But so I think he was unfortunate but they've got a new guy in from Spurs Kieran McKenna who's hit the ground running he's had some fantastic results already maybe it just needed sort of freshening up a bit as much as anything in terms of the management coaching side but I think yeah I think maybe even before Nicky Buck came in things were starting to improve in the right direction in terms of recruitment at really young age levels we've stopped as far as I know, losing as many players as we were at 13, 14 years old to City and so on. There was def- definitely a few years where teams like City were maybe being a bit more aggressive and going after players at that age group and we were losing out and it meant we were, in general, bringing in less players and less quality at under 16, under 18 level. But I think that's being redressed now, thankfully. Brilliant. Nick, thank you very, very much for your time and congratulations. It's again. been a pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you very much for doing that to Nick. And the plan to kind of reunite the Red Man Canyon through the Red Rank cast is going is going well at the moment. We're just going to get one of them on each week and then we'll splice them <laughs> together into a virtual podcast, yeah. which probably won't make any sense. But hey, what will be the difference? I mean, I mean, it's, between our podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just uh, just making sure that they don't think you're throwing shade at them there, Ed. It's good, it's good backtracking. Um, I thought it was very interesting some of the stuff that he was saying about the changes um, at United. Obviously, there's been enormous turnover in personnel in terms of the staff, and and it does seem like the the plan is kind of working at the lower levels. Yeah, this always takes a long time to filter through, though, doesn't it, to the the first team? Any change in the structure of the academy or youth football? By necessity, of course, because they're all like 16, 17 years old. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked about Angel Gomez in that interview and the fact that he was born on the 31st of August in the year 2000. Wow, you see, he should... Well, not only is that scary because we're old, but um, uh, if you're uh, you know, a reader of Malcolm Gladwell, he should be a total failure. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Right at the end of the school year, right? That's uh-huh. yeah. uh, I don't think he's going to be a total failure, though. A, a really, really promising talent. Right, so the grown-up footballers have got to play a football match, and uh, I, for one, am pretty nervous about this. I, 
you know, you try and put your bullish United centric head on, but out of the two teams, like, doesn't look like. They're they're in quite different positions, it's fair to say. When I tried to address the subject of Jurgen Klopp doing quite well with Liverpool a couple of weeks ago on this show, you uh, you gave it the very, very coldest of shoulders. Uh, are you prepared to discuss them this week? He still looks like a park drunk. So, you know, part-time coach, part-time, you know, swigger of, of some nasty potato vodka out of a brown paper bag. Yeah, they're doing all right. Hey, look, it's only seven games into the season. I'm not going to acknowledge that they're actually good yet. But uh, fourth in the table, 16 points. Uh, some very good results recently. Obviously smacked Hull, but um, I think Mike Phelan sort of uh, uh, honeymoon period has worn off, hasn't it? And Hull's <laughs> struggling a little bit. And they won at Chelsea, Liverpool. Very good performance there. A narrow win over Swansea at the weekend, last weekend, in which they weren't that good, really, given that Swansea... Mm. A very, very not good this season. Uh, sacked Greedlin after the game, didn't they? And uh, and appointed Bob Bradley and not Ryan Giggs. But uh, we'll get onto that maybe a bit later. But so you know, Liverpool doing well. They're they're on an upward trajectory from last season in which they were very inconsistent. They're only just a little bit inconsistent now, much like us. Yeah, I mean, they won the first game of the season against Arsenal, and and for. 20 minutes in that game, they looked absolutely unstoppable and Arsenal fell apart completely. But once they went 4-1 up, Liverpool kind of slightly collapsed. Then they lost at Burnley and it was looking like the season might be a bit of a kind of, I don't know, a very mixed bag. But they, you know, they've won every game since then, apart from a one-all draw at Tottenham, which is better than most teams will manage at White Hart Lane this season, I guess. Yeah, and, and the thing that really marks them out this season is the amount of goals they're scoring. So they've scored the same amount of goals as City. Uh, they look to attack in numbers. The game, game pressing is is really working. They are pressing very high up the field. They're attacking in numbers and they're trying to win the ball back in really dangerous areas. Um, and it's uh, it's starting to look like a Klopp team, isn't it? They're also giving up the fewest number of shots against them in the division, which I thought was interesting. I, I looked this up because I was... Um, I kind of get the, you know, you were talking about the our chance conversion and the kind of impressionistic sense that it's not that good. And I feel like we've been giving up quite a lot of chances. We're like mid-table for that. We're giving up 10.7 shots. That's not the same as chances, but, you know, we just use it as a shorthand for now. 10.7 shots per game against us, which is about, you know, it's the seventh best in the league or something. Liverpool giving up 8.1 shots a game, which is uh, considerably the fewest in the league. Uh, so that that's kind of interesting. Yeah, but they've also conceded quite a few goals, which might say something about their <laughs> goalkeeper. Yeah, I believe I he conceded every shot on target against him for some period of the season. L- Loris Carrius, because Mignolet's been dumped on the bench. Uh, maybe some teething trouble for him. I, I guess we can't um, we can't uh, crow too much about teething trouble in goalkeepers. We had that challenge a few years ago before Big Dave became the uh, the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. The, the whole gig and pressing thing, right? So uh, obviously people get annoyed when you use the term because they think it's excessively hipsterish. But it's just a description of a style of play, which is pressing to win the ball back very high at the pitch very quickly after you lose the ball back. That's the Yeah, I mean, the, the, the same people who would be offended uh, using you know, tiki-taka as a term, I would call it tippy-tappy or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how? What I've been wondering about, I feel like Paul Pogba is simultaneously probably quite vulnerable to that. And also probably someone who, if he's on his game, 
is really going to be able to pick that is going to be able to pick through that because when he's playing well, he's just harder than the average player to get the ball off. And Gegenpressing is all about winning the ball back off the opposition midfielders quickly. Uh, but you kind of plough into Pogba and press him uh, on the ball, then he might well dance through you and end up on the other side of you with mm. the ball at his feet. Or not just the opposition midfielders, also the back four, mm. which is about trying to pick on the most vulnerable player in possession. And so, you know, and, and that will be an issue for United at the back and, and may well uh, cloud Mourinho's thinking, I suppose, you know, or or uh, influence Mourinho's thinking in terms of who he p- picks at the back because we actually have got some players who are very, very comfortable on the ball um, and might be able to work around that. It's going to be a fascinating contest. I mean, um, we, it seems like we've found a balance in midfield with Ander Herrera sort of deep, you know, very, very good last weekend in that deep position. Not, not nearly his natural position, of course, but um, has enough of the tool set to, to do well there. And Pogba and Mata making a nice sort of complementary trio there. And, you know, all comfortable in possession. Is that the way that Mourinho will go in this game, realising that possession is really important? Um, you certainly wouldn't want, say, uh, Marouane Fellaini in there, who who's apt to panic uh, any time anyone runs at him. But you would also... I mean, it's not hard to imagine Mourinho thinking, yeah, we could do with that height, that's that, that aggression in midfield. I don't know. It, it, it's difficult. I mean, I almost... If he does play Fellaini, you really hope that's as part of a 4-3-3, not in a two next to Pogba, because it would just, I think, be just ridiculously vulnerable to, to pressing in that, in that formation. I mean, Herrera and Pogba, you'd think, if we're playing two in midfield, Herrera and Pogba's got to be the least vulnerable to pressing out of... Um, not invulnerable, obviously, but the, the the kind of best adept at kind of picking their way through that. Uh, what do you think of the argument for playing Michael Carrick in this game? Well, uh, on the one side, he's very, very comfortable in the ball in close range situations. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's not going to panic at all. Uh, on the other side, his legs have gone. Haven't they? And mm. uh, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to keep up with a very leggy Liverpool side, you know, good leggy. I guess, you know, Henderson, Wijnaldum, uh, you know, very, very great engines on both of them. Firmino and Coutinho running at players, Mane super quick, you know, inconsistent. And Lallana actually looks like a half-decent player after being utterly dreadful since pretty much the beginning of his time uh, with Liverpool. Yeah, uh, so they've, they've definitely got threats. And I think if we were if we'd taken some of our chances against Stoke, I might be feeling a little bit more confident about this one. But there's just something about our odd brittleness that has me a little worried. Um, maybe it'll be maybe it'll prove to be unnecessary pessimism. And actually, the good things about that performance against Stoke, so the very fluid possession football in the first 25 minutes, will outweigh the bad things: missing the chances and going really flat for two long periods of that game before and after half time. Which, you know, when you really analyse that game, those they, those periods, they do stand out. And if we do that against Liverpool and they kind of catch fire in those moments, that could be really, really damaging. And, we, you know, you, you could get one of those spells that we've got last season against Arsenal and Tottenham, for example, where you just really capitulate and concede a couple of goals in quick succession and then we're in really big trouble. Mm. So does Martial get back into the team? I mean, do do United go with uh, Martial, Mata, Rashford, and Ibrahimovic as the front four? I mean, I think so. It would seem a a, a a massive shame for him not to. He's just 
he's just such a huge talent, isn't he? It seems like really wasteful not not to use him. And I mean, I guess the fact is, we've got Liverpool on the Sunday, on the Monday night. Uh, Fenerbahce at home on the Thursday night Chelsea on the following Sunday lunchtime away City the following Wednesday So we've got this compressed pack schedule Against a load of heavy hitters And Fenerbahce And so there's going to be a lot of different There's going to be a lot of time to play a lot of people And I wonder whether Mourinho is just going to go to Anfield Trying to kind of basically I mean not literally park the bus in an Inter Milan style but really focus on being solid and play Lingard because he's not so interested in the other side of the pitch yeah so on the right hand side it's it's typically been Coutinho well on Liverpool's left hand side typically Coutinho as the left hand side of a th- front three he's not really been playing as a number 10 they don't really play a number 10 Liverpool at the moment and Milner's been playing at left back so I mean I don't know I'd fancy a, a speedster on that side I'd fancy Marcus Rashford in the form that he's in to to do some damage there and actually force Coutinho backwards um, and you know I'd, I'd, I'd be I'd be erring on the side of positivity in my selection um, you know, otherwise, what happens is United are a, a bit passive uh, when they get the ball in you know deep areas. They're surrounded all the time and they're under pressure a lot of the time. And and that's that's the thing, isn't it? When you talk about us setting up to defend a lead or you know to defend a result rather, you just think, well, that's really not playing to our strengths. We saw that in the first half against City, didn't we? Where there it were neither one thing nor the other. He, he played a team that was designed to play counter attacking football, but that just wasn't drilled in the way you need to be to kind of get the ball back and bite and attack. Yeah. I mean, I, I really only think there's only two or three positions that um, he, he might tinker with. Uh, the, the formation, sort of 4-3-3. Or 4-2-3-1, uh, really, isn't it? 4-2-3-1, yeah. I mean, if, if matters like a number 10. Um, I don't I don't really see that changing. I think the question is around Martial and that, that's going to affect Rashford's position. Does he play on the left or the right? Uh, and left back and... And centre back, so you know, Bailly will start, Valencia will start, unless international football gets in the way. I'm, I'm not quite sure about Valencia's schedule. Um, you know, does Shaw come back into the team and Blint move to centre back, or does Blint start centre back and Smalling continues? You know, and, and so just not many choices to make here, but just subtle little ones uh, which might make a difference. That is assuming that he's working on the template that his team is basically set with that 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 triumvirate in the middle of of Pogba, Herrera, and Mata. That he's that he's prepared to go into battle at Anfield. With Herrera and Mata both in the team, like Van Gaal never would have done that, would he? I mean, apart, apart from the time that he did. But you know, that was playing Mata on the right of a four-three-three. It's quite different. But you know, assuming Mourinho is prepared to do that, which he, he definitely should be. There's no reason he shouldn't. Then, then you're absolutely right. That's where the decisions are, unless there's a, a big, big surprise. Um, and I say a big, big surprise. I mean a big, big shift because I, I don't think it would be a complete. I wouldn't. I'd be disappointed, but I don't think I'd be completely shocked if it's a midfield of of Fellaini, uh, Pogba, and Herrera. Carrick. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd be <laughs> yeah. very surprised if he plays Carrick and Fellaini. But you know, no, no. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd be feeling much more negative about this if if Van Hal was in charge, of course, because you could almost predict the negative negativity there, but. Mourinho, you know, he seems to have, at least in terms of his starting team and the general approach, put the City game aside, um, attacking intent. Mm. 
Uh, and you know uh, he's very reactive as a coach, isn't he? Ben? So he's he's willing to change things up very quickly if they're not going well, or if if United scored with twenty minutes to go, you know that a striker is coming off for an extra defender. Sure. Um, and you know we just have to get used to that with Mourinho because that's the way he is. But I think generally speaking, United have have had an attacking outlook to start with, and you know that's that's been pretty good. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. I mean, one thing I should say about Lingard, you know, we're both talking about dropping him basically. Yeah, he made his debut for England this week. Uh, I didn't see the game against Malta. I really couldn't be bothered to waste two hours of my life watching England or Malta, <laughs> mostly watching England. Uh, but uh, by all accounts, he had a decent game. I mean, it's Wembley, isn't it? It's the Jesse Lingard National Stadium. You, you got to play. That's right. You've got to play Jesse. Surprised didn't score a beauty. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, and and I don't think it's automatic that you drop him. I, I don't think he's been terrible. No, no, no. He's playing all right. You know, and the 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 thing is, Martial is a much much more dangerous offensively. Um, and I don't think you give up that much defensively, although Lingard is very, very smart in terms of his defensive positioning. You know, you can see why he's in the team. He's not going to let anyone down in terms of um, his, you know, his positioning, tracking back, defending, energy, work rate. Uh, it's just those little moments, you know, it is, if it comes down to a half chance, who do you back to put that ball in the net? Martial or Lingard? You know, it's, it's going to be Martial every time, isn't it? Uh, the defence is fascinating and... I think I would err on the side of playing Blint in, at centre-back and playing Luke Shaw at left-back because I think Luke Shaw gives you so much on the counter-attack, although, of course, Blint's super smart use of the ball is, is great from left-back. But Blint's use of the ball from centre-back against Liverpool's attack is... Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, Liverpool are, is a bunch of diddy men up front. Coutinho, Firmino, Lalana. And it's um, you know Blint really excels against the big man, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, but that's this is true. Like, I thought you were going the other way. I thought you were going to go with like, well, so Blint should be okay. And I was going to go into a rant about how Blint is absolutely fine against big tough defenders. His problem is movement. Uh, sometimes his concentration goes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be against. Blint playing in the centre there just because the distribution of the ball is very good, you know, and and just having that calmness um, away from home is pretty useful. And he's not he's not going to get bullied by that front three for sure. You know, he never really gets bullied anyway. And just hope he switches on. Yeah, and and you know, it's funny that we're on uh, opposite sides of the the argument we're normally on in a way. But I I feel like the one thing I, I'm this might be a bit reactive based on the City game, but I worry about Blint. On, in big games for United uh, at centre back, I don't know. I don't know whether that's completely just arbitrary and just based on the fact that the City game went a bit wobbly. Um, so that's the kind of freshest memory. Mm. Anyway, so that's Liverpool. What, what do you think the uh, result's going to be? You going for a United win? No, I mean the, the the thing is, of course. I mean, this go, literally goes without saying, but the extent to which a, you want a United win, it's Liverpool. But also, we've dropped a load of points already, and we really need to get back on track. And this is this would be yeah, I need a big result yeah, against a this big would team. Be huge uh, to to win it. But based on the form that the two sides are in. And based on the way the two styles of play match up against each other, the truth is I'm very nervous about this one. I really do wish we were playing someone else before at the end of the international break, you know. Mm. Mourinho's got some history at Anfield, though. <laughs> I, I reckon he might pull out something that's going to surprise us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, 
Look, I don't mind if he runs on the pitch and scores at uh, the cop end himself. <laughs> That'd be fine. <laughs> It'd be very funny, actually. Um, yeah, I th- you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some incident here. There normally is with Mourinho. You know, that sounds like some uh, match of the day analysis there, doesn't it? There's <laughs> absolutely no reason like Mourinho's history at Anfield should make any difference on this game whatsoever. But, you know. We're football fans, aren't we? So you've got to expect something like that. And um, yeah, no, you know, maybe there'll be a surprise here. And uh, I, I reckon Mourinho, it's, you know, this will be a game he's he's especially looking forward to. All right. Um, yeah, I, I might even predict a win for United just because, hey. Just because that would be so unusual and out of character for you, Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doom and gloom, are we going to win? <laughs> Literally every week. Every You are the Mark Lawrenson of predicting Man United results. We would have won the league by so many points every year if the results that you predicted came true. Well, look, they should just put me in charge and then <laughs> clearly that's going to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, should we do all the questions that people have asked? Well, let's do some of them. All right, OK. Ah, look at this. At Across the Keeper saying, why have you failed to get the Red Bank Union boys recording podcasts again, Paul? I haven't been able to get them to record podcasts, but I've get, been able to get them to record individual podcast segments. So we're working on it one step at a time. We're just going to plug all the audio into some kind of AI engine, yeah. which will rebuild them completely. And we'll just be able to type in a script every week and they'll just record their show. Yeah. I bet you could do that, actually. I've got some friends at Google who could probably put that <laughs> together. I like it when, you know, when you record a load of uh, video on your phone and uh, Google cuts it together to like a jaunty soundtrack uh-huh. uh, and sends it to you. Sometimes that's really inappropriate, depending on like when you've been recording. I don't know, like I recorded, a, I was at the beach um, when we played Bournemouth and I recorded a load of like peaceful cliff scenes and like the, the waves and all that kind of crashing, gently lapping against the shoreline. And then Google cut it together with a beat going, do, 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 do. Wait, here are the gentle <laughs> waves. It was good. Recording my parents' funeral. Rolls after a tragic car accident. <laughs> Not good. Um, the, the, across the keeper has a serious question as well, which is um, something we've talked about on the show a lot, and, and we'll probably discuss this briefly now because it will come back up. But Herrera plus Pogba plus a another as a midfield three discuss. If it wasn't for the existence of Juan Mata, this would be a complete automatic for me. Uh, and and uh, Juan Mata being what in that? Equation. Well, my my thing is that one matter would be would stop us doing this because I think if you do this, you can't put matter in the side because I don't think you can play that midfield three like Herrera, Pogba, and Schneidlin or Carrick say um, with matter yeah, on the yeah. right. Yeah. I think then that that becomes sort of a bit ponderous. Really, Mourinho's found matter's place. Right, he has to play at ten or not at all. Yes, and uh, I want him in the team every week. I'd have him in the team every week, and I'd have Herrera in the team every week, and I'd have Pogba in the team every week. I'd also like a proper defensive midfielder. So um, we're probably going to have to play twelve. Uh, that's why, if you put me in charge, we're going to win every week because we'll have twelve men on the pitch. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the balance of the midfield, a Carrick type playing alongside Herrera and Pogba is absolutely perfect. Yeah, you know, you play you play a six alongside two number eights, and you've you've got a wonderfully balanced midfield automatically. Uh, Pogba on the left kind of opens him up. It's all his best performances for Juventus came in that position. Definitely, his best performances in the Euros for France came in that position. Uh, and even just playing him alongside Herrera has freed him up to, 
you know, you want Pogba thinking about as little as possible, really. You want him to be free to express the best of himself without feeling like it's all on him. Right. And, you know, nominally he was sort of on the left, wasn't he? Most of his touches came on the left against Stoke and most of Herrera's touches came down the right. Um, mm, yeah. You know, he was just very smart in terms of his defensive play when he had to do it. And, of course, that wasn't that much with Stoke having sort of about 30% possession or so. Um, so we haven't actually seen Herrera really have to defend in that position yet. And, you know, that that might expose some nasties that we weren't expecting. Um, but for the moment, he looks very comfortable there. And in a way, this is why I'm not at all sure about what the lineup's going to be against Liverpool. Because I, I don't think, just because we've seen the Pogba-Herrera midfield duo like pretty much work against Stoke and Leicester at home, doesn't mean it works against Liverpool away. Right, right. Yeah, but we know, we know that Fellaini doesn't work anywhere, home or away. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely. Fellaini works as a kind of last 20-minute battering ram. Fine, just fine. And Fellaini in Tony Pulis's Stoke team would have been an awesome force, but, you know. Um, this is an interesting question, which we're going to have to start thinking about soon. At Steve, uh, Steve Sandell says, when Bailly heads off for the Africa Cup of Nations, who is best to replace him? Do you think we lack a bit of depth at centre-back? I mean, you you heard Nick uh, saying earlier that it would be possible to consider Twanzebe to be a kind of fourth-pick fourth, fourth pick centre-back in the team um, because he's he's pretty good. And in a way, you'd like to see that, even though it would be a risk, you'd like to see that more than Rocco or Jones. Yeah, Twanzebe, he played for the England under-21s this week, uh, didn't he? So, I, I mean, look, he's talented enough to to get that call up. I mean, I'm not sure I'd be giving him a debut at, at uh, I don't know where United are going in January, but, you know, at City or something like that. Um, uh, but he, he, he could be in the squad. There's no point buying another centre-half just for the sake of African Cup of Nations cover. Uh, but it's, it's United will be quite thin there. Yeah, so Smalling, Blint. Jones, you know, if Jones is ever fit. Uh, and that is about it. Mm. And, and yeah, the, the answer to the question, do we lack depth at centre-back? We definitely lack depth at centre-back. And, and I would not be surprised at all if Mourinho invests heavily in a centre-back next summer. Just to Ibra back there, he'd be brilliant. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a question about this. You know, Ibra scored one goal in the last 470 minutes of football. And that was a goal, a kind of spawny goal against uh, Zoria. Like, yeah. definitely off the boil, definitely. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was that bad, bad against Stoke, though, you know? So no, I thought he missed, missed big chances. He missed some big chances, but his all-round game was good, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, he, he looked sharp in his all-round game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Eggs76, who calls himself a very, very good friend of the rank cast, which I think we've got to say is fair, uh, can we win these uh, next two league games? And if we don't, how much will the press go after Jose? Uh, yeah, the the press will absolutely hammer Mourinho if we lose the next games. Liverpool because of the United rivalry and his history with um, with that. And then, I mean, I, I guess by the next two games, he means he's not including Fenerbahce in that. He means Liverpool and Chelsea. Yeah. Oh, he said league games. There you go. Yeah, he did say league games. Yeah, well, look, they're two super tough league games. I mean, Chelsea are, are you know doing okay this season much like we are doing okay this season and uh, Liverpool you know playing pretty well so two tough league games uh, two uh, grounds in which uh, Mourinho has plenty of history uh, you could say 
Um, so he's going to love both of these. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking forward to some touchline antics from him, whatever happens. And, I'm, I, you know, you just hope United able to pull out the, the sum of the all the parts because the sum of the parts looks pretty good. It's, you know, it's just week to week. Uh, not quite been there, has it? So, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen in these two, but I have a feeling United will do OK at Liverpool. And and maybe that maybe that just gives uh, some real impetus for some progression from where we've been. Well, last time you had that feeling, we went and scored four goals in the next half of football that we played. So, you know. Yeah. So so not only should I be United's coach, but I'm also like Eileen Drury or something <laughs> like that. Um, all right. All right, Mystic Meg. At Kraken Dragon says, will Wayne Rooney still be a United player in February? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean... I, I, obviously, the answer is probably yes. But I tell you what, for once, he does not seem to be playing the PR game very well. No, he's in total denial, isn't he? Yeah, that pre-England round of kind of pretty spiky press quotes where he's talking about, yeah, I'm a really good midfielder. And he absolutely chucked Allardyce under the bus saying, I was following instructions when I was playing in deep-lying midfield. So Allardyce was completely wrong to say that, you know, I was playing where I wanted to play and who was he to tell me where to play. Yeah, Rooney's best position is wherever the last manager picks him and tells him to play, you know, according to Rooney. But the kind of... But the, the thing that seemed odd... Was it almost seemed like he was he was gearing up to take on Mourinho? That's that's the, that's what I maybe I read too much into those quotes, but I, it, normally it feels like Rooney's actually a very canny operator in these games, and that's why he wins them so often. But it felt like he was sort of saying, in spite of the fact that Mourinho had said he wasn't a good midfielder, Rooney was basically saying, "I don't care what he, anyone says, I am a good midfielder." And I, I feel like that is not a smart game for him to be playing in terms of staying at the club. No. Um, Adam Joseph, who writes uh, now and again on uh, United Rant, pointed out that there's more than £40 million left on Rooney's contract. There's uh, there's not too many clubs around the world going to be prepared to take that on. No, that is definitely the, 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 the key, a key factor in all of this. Um. At Shri, friend of the show, Adam Joseph, as well, of course. Of course. At Shrikanth underscore Nima says, hasn't it been difficult to assess where our team stands this season when compared to our competitors? I agree. I keep just looking at the team and thinking, if we'd won that Stoke game by the margin that we should have done, which was 2.7 goals to 1.1 goals, <laughs> according to Mike Cayley's model, um, yeah, if, if that was the case then you'd be kind of feeling a bit more buoyant again. But there's just something up with us. There's definitely something up with us. We are. We're not where we should be, but nor are we in the doldrums. No, that's right. And and if you play that 2.71 XG forward, United are going to score a lot of goals this season. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see where that model actually goes. You don't want to show that model to anyone at FIFA, though, because they will come up with a scoring system in football that looks something like that. Uh, <laughs> Infantino is currently proposing a 48-team World Cup. What is wrong with him? I know, which would basically be one round of um, 16 teams playing each other for for the right to qualify for the, the next round, the group stages. So a bunch of teams would go home after uh, playing one game. Put loads of pressure on whoever the hosts are to have lots of stadiums available, I guess. Uh, really very odd. I, I, if you're going to go down that route, if, you know, if you're just going to be a sop to all the members to try and get their votes, you might as well just say the World Cup's open to everybody and just have it straight knockout. 
Yeah, all the teams in the world. All the teams in the world, it's open, yeah. Sounds great, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's better than a 48-team World Cup, though, that's for sure. Which is... It'd be good, England would go down to, you know, the Solomon Islands or Tuvalu or something like that and lose. <laughs> yeah. Um, my friend Josh says, why haven't I been on the podcast yet? It's, it's coming, Josh, you know it is. Um, at United Thought says... Is Griezmann really what United need? We already look very top-heavy at the moment. No, I mean, this is definitely true. Well, theoretically, yeah, we look top-heavy, not scoring that many goals. Well, no, but in terms of a, a place for him in the squad, in the first team, it's not immediately evident, especially if you kind of take for granted the notion that his best position is second striker. Uh, then, then, you know, that's really... He'd then be battling out with Mata for number 10, which means you've got two people fighting for a number 10 spot when actually we might be needing to move away from the idea of playing at a number 10 to get the best out of Paul Pogba. Um, This was definitely a dilemma that France had in the Euros. But Griezmann's fantastic and Zlatan's only going to be here for a couple of years. So, you know, another really top draw attacking talent isn't a terrible idea. If you don't have the money and want to spend it, I, you know, I'd be quite happy for them to spend sixty million on Antoine Griezmann. No problem at all. He's a great player. Yeah, I mean, whether he's what we need, need, I think you know that's a very difficult, a very difficult question to answer definitively. But it would be lovely to have him in the squad. Um, all right, at that mash guy who I met IRL at an Oate gig, which was very cool, um, says we're a couple of months into the season now. Uh, where do you think United will finish? I can't say I think we're going to win the league anymore. I, I did think we were going to win the league in yet another fit of optimism. Mm. I think United will finish in the top three. Yeah, but do you think we'll finish first, second or third? Mm, well, I said second at the beginning of the season, so let's stick with that because we're only seven games in. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think United are going to win the league. I mean, you'd have to suddenly develop a lot more consistency than they have done in order to do that. And they're, of course, five points behind City already. Yeah, and sixth in the league already, although that's not, you know, obviously it's going to shake out a bit. But, yeah, I mean, there really isn't a position between first and fifth, I guess, that would massively shock. Oh, God, it'd be depressing if we finish fifth. I think that's a bit unlikely. But I'm going to go with second as well, but I'm... uh... I'm not exactly super optimistic. What do you make of the rumours, says at Seabucks20, that we're in for Seamus Coleman in January? Do you think he'd be a good signing? Well, um, I mean, it's one that does rounds all the time. He's, he's a very good player. Uh, he's not getting any younger. So he's only 28, 29 or something like that now. So I don't know if it'd be a long-term purchase. as probably an awful lot of money. That said, uh, it's not as if that has really been locked down. I mean, Valencia's getting better slowly as a right back um but he's not a great defensive right back uh, he's not really a great attacking right back either he seems to put it together in something that's acceptable um uh, turns abs you, i mean he's been he, i mean he's been okay for a while yeah he's been one of our best our better performers our most consistent performers this season definitely would you pick him as the league's best right back i'm not sure i would um or anywhere near the world's right, best right back so um so you know if you're looking for a Step up in class. Ander Herrera then, said he was the world's best right back. Yeah, yeah. Ander Herrera's very nice. <laughs> He's a nice chap. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, sure. Why not? I, I, I don't know if, if um, Coleman's the right player, player at the right kind of money and the right age. But he's probably an upgrade on what we've got already. 
But does he maybe fit into that category of, do you just want an upgrade when you then got expensive players on the books and all that, but actually you're kind of overall not getting yourself to the level where you need to be? Um, yeah, there's always a risk there. A uh, story doing the rounds this week that CG were about to spend £100 million on a left-back and a right-back. It's a lot, um, a lot of money. God. There's a lot of money yeah, on fullbacks. Yeah, but you know, buying fullbacks is fun. Van Gaal loved buying fullbacks. It's crazy for it. Loved subbing them too. Yeah. Well, once you bought more, you got to play them. At Pogbrahimovic <laughs> says, is it true you fake the broken PC as a way of disguising your sacking on Football Manager 16? History will vindicate me. You will find that the save file is intact from when it was last streamed on Twitch. Uh, we'll be back streaming this week. Um, the PC is back in situ. Is the history saved on Twitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, no, yeah there's no uh, cheating going on here. This is legit. We are not sacked. I think we might be top of the league, actually. Now, what he's talking about? Not doing great in. We didn't get into the Champions League because I messed up the qualifier. Anyway, no, that was. Anyway, the whole point is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I messed up the qualifier for the Champions League, so we're in the Europa League. But I think we might be top of the league. Griezmann's in that team. So, you know, that's the main thing. Um, at Sean KTLE Ace says, New look Steve Bruce, would you? Have you seen what Steve Bruce looks like today, Ed? I have not. What does he look like? All right, so fire up Twitter, go to my profile, scroll a couple of tweets down and look at the incredible picture of Steve Bruce. This is worth, right. this is worth the wait, listeners, believe me. All right, I'm having a look and... Brucey has got a very sharp haircut and he looks like he's been a bit airbrushed. I No. I, he's wearing a lot of makeup. I, yeah, sure. He was on telly when this picture was taken. But doesn't he look great? I mean, he's obviously lost a few pounds. The hair is like proper, proper strong look hair. He's gone for an Alan Pardew haircut. Uh, yeah, yeah, he really has. I, I think this is a kind of long, a long, a long view play for the England job. I think he's read Soconomics, that thing that says all football managers have got really good hair. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Is it thicker than it used to be? I'm not sure if it's thicker than it used to be or if it's just that he's gone, he's allowed it to go its natural grey and he j- just got a hairdresser to do a really good job on it. I mean, I admit this is not really a visual feature. This is kind of a visual feature for the podcast, but yeah. anyway. Anyway, very good. Uh, might be after the villa job, right? Uh, yeah, which is weird. Another ex-Blues manager at Villa. Seems... That's going to go down really well. Worked yeah. great last time. Yeah, exactly. Although I think it's probably fair to say that Steve Bruce is a much better championship level manager than Alex McLeish. Uh, maybe just a much better manager in general, really. Certainly less generally sad and grumpy. Anyway, good luck to Steve. We wish Steve Bruce luck as we do all ex-Man United players who are currently managers. Apart from maybe Mark Hughes. Okay, um, so we've got another game coming up this week. And uh, that's a Europa League game which we care lots and lots about, don't we? Yeah, it's not this week either. It's next week. We're on a slightly weird podcast schedule. Um, once again, because of Ed's travel and the way the international break and the fixtures have fallen. So we're next going to record a podcast after the Fenerbahce game, before the Chelsea game. Um it's very hard to do any kind of meaningful preview of this based on United's first two performances in the Europa League because it is abundantly clear that United do not care about the Europa League. Right, yeah, and it's just the sort of game that could go horribly wrong as a result. So, you know, lots of changes, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, slightly flat performance at home with probably not a full house. Well, definitely not a full house. Nowhere near. No, and, uh, yeah, it might go badly wrong. I, I was at the game many, many moons ago when United lost their first home European tie to Fenerbahce, who won 1-0. And uh, there were lots and lots of Fenerbahce fans very happy about that one. So they are top of the group at the moment, having won one, drawn one. Um, so they drew with Feyenoord, right? Oh, did they? they no, I think they beat Feyenoord and drew with Zoria. Yeah, that's right. Beat Feyenoord, drew with Zoria. Um, and Feyenoord beat us, of course, away. And uh, the one thing that's really nice about this fixture is um, it will be a chance to say a proper kind of send-off for uh, Robin Van Persie who was kind of ignominiously flung out the door without a chance to say goodbye uh, the first time around and definitely you know deserves a bit of a a bit of a hero's welcome I'd imagine at Old Trafford he certainly does and he'll get a very good welcome at Old Trafford won't he and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to that no no nanny though he cuz he went to Valencia during the summer so um they've got some decent players Fenerbahce uh, apart from Robin van Tur- Robin van Turkey <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's a great spoonerism, Robin Van Persie. Oh, Robin Van Turkey. Yeah, it, oh, God, please let that happen. Um, Sami Kiar, who's a very, very talented youth uh, central defender, his career went a little off. He, he didn't really fulfil all his stuff. Mehmet Topel, very long time Turkey, um, uh, Turkish uh, player and captain. Uh, Martin Skirtle, the not very good ex Liverpool defender. Yeah, can we talk about how bad he is again? Um, quite bad. Yeah. Uh, Jermaine Lenz, you know, long-time Bundesliga. They've got some good players. They have. Um, they've also got football manager legend Musa Sal, uh, a player that will always come up as a, as a player you should buy in maybe FM 15, that might have been. Um, and a guy that's playing very well for them at the moment, who is Souza, the Brazilian defensive midfielder. There's a couple of goals um, this season already, but just general good all-round performances. Um, Emmanuel Emenike. Oh, there's a name I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, anyway. So th- plenty of goal threat. They're, 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 they're a decent side. If we're not at it, because, you know, like this is a horrendous stereotype about Turkish teams, but... You would expect them to be properly up for it, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, but Turkish teams don't travel very well, so <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a very tricky fixture because I don't think United are mentally right in this competition at all. No, 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 but maybe the fans will be up for it. We'll give them hell. We'll throw them some prawn sandwiches or something. <laughs> hey, how many people do you reckon will be there? You know, 50... Fifty to 60,000, something like that, I guess. Maybe. How many was it against Zoria? Let me have a look. Let me look at that up. Manchester United Zoria attendance. So they closed the top of K-stand for the Zoria game, which was very sensible. There was The, the official attendance at, at Zoria was 58,000. So if that's the case, then I guess this, the official attendance here will be 65 or so. You'd think more people will come... Fenerbahce a bigger draw than Zoria Van Persie coming back Official attendance of course includes Season ticket holders who don't go No? Right yeah um, I'm not sure how that works In the Europa League cause Well you they'll, they'll have had out, to, they'll so. have, Well yes or they, you know, If they didn't opt out yeah, And yeah. bought the ticket anyway 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm saying official attendance sixty five thousand. That'd be my guess. So that's probably sixty fifty fifty eight thousand or so in the actual stadium. Um, a decent. I, I don't think it's going to be half empty. I, I mean, they might have to close a tier again, but I don't think that's particularly bad, is it? Europa League games on a Thursday night in a competition that literally no one cares about apart from Sevilla. No, no, and if they, if they were allowed to, and I suspect they're not, given the, the how these things are generally controlled, um, it would be very sensible to allow a bunch of people in for 10 quid. Well, there were huge numbers of kids at the Zoria game because they were doing the countdown and the high-pitched chants of United and stuff, so I guess they'll do that again. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's just it's just not a proper competition, is it? That we could preview the game all you want, but United are not going to care about this, and Fenerbahce are probably too good not to care about. So Fenerbahce are probably going to win this game, I would imagine. That'd be my prediction, certainly. Wow, I'm going to go for a draw. Okay. Do, do you think United are going to make it out of the, this group? They might not, you know. Well, if they don't win this game, definitely not. No, I mean, not luckily there not, isn't but... a third tier of European football. You get bumped down to you finish third in the Europa League group. <laughs> that, God, would, that would be awful, that, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> football playing against some kind of Icelandic side or something. Double football detention. So we've got one point out of the first two games, which is obviously not a disaster. If you then, uh, sorry, we've got three points out of the first two games. So everyone's going to beat Zoria, except for Fenerbahce, who already didn't beat Zoria away from home. Um, I don't know. We could probably still squeak through, but if we if we lose here, say Feyenoord beat Zoria, then Feyenoord and Fenerbahce will be on six and seven points. We'll have to get a result at home against Feyenoord. It's obviously doable, and then away in Turkey and away in Ukraine. Mm. And uh, of course, their manager is Dick Avocat, who's been around a lot. Yeah. Yeah, nearly 70 now and has managed more teams than uh, than many people have been to games. Hashtag friend of the Fangal. OK, so I think that'll do for a show, barring a couple of predictions, Ed. Uh, I'm going to go for a 1-0 win at Anfield and one all at Old Trafford. All right. I'm going to go for a 2 all draw at Anfield and a 1-0 defeat at Old Trafford. You're so negative, Paul. That's always been your problem. So stay tuned. If you are a Patreon listener, we're going to do some bonus content uh, coming right up. If you want access to the bonus content and you're not already a backer, this show has no ads because we are crowdfunded. So head over to patreon.com slash rankcast if you want to get involved. Uh, lovely feedback last week on the half an hour long segment we did on The Wire after the show finished. In theory, the bonus content is supposed to be 10 minutes long, but it hasn't been less than... 15 so far um and it was it was half an hour last week for no reason except we wanted to talk about the wire we did indeed and uh funnily enough uh mrs rant has uh, just started watching the wire so uh, i'm running through some of those old episodes again Sli- slightly out of and um, i'm not running all of them in sequence but uh um that's been fun to watch as well and not go oh i know what happens next <laughs> yes a lot of people um messaged saying actually that they, they were going to re-watch the wire after hearing us talk about it again because it was a reminder of how brilliant it's anyway this week i think we're 
talking about uh, other podcasts we like. So yeah, um, that's that's what you're missing out on if you're not backing us at patreon.com slash rankcast. Anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at UTD Rankcast. Um, you can follow Ed at United Rant. You can follow Tom, our producer, at Teach Sound. He does a sterling job here every week making us sound okay. And the stuff that he actually records and edits is, is incredibly good at his job. So if you're looking for a sound person, hire him. I've got a big plug. Um, I've got a short film uh, coming out on the UMAXIT YouTube channel, um, which is about fathers and sons and football. It's coming out uh, probably today, as you hear this, if you hear this on Monday, um, or it's already out if it's after Monday. Um, I'd really appreciate everyone uh, watching that uh, because I put a lot of time and love into it. Um, And yeah, so that's my plugs out the way. um, And we'll see you next week. Bye.